Welcome to the FCBC NYC podcast. We're so thankful that you decided to join us in this moment and in this season in your life. Our prayer is that this podcast will be a catalyst for conversion and transformation and that you will be inspired and renewed in such a tremendous way that your desire will be to be your best for God. Again, thank you for listening, and we're excited to see what is next in your life. We are an ever-evolving community of visionaries, dreamers, and doers who have been called by God to live the lives we are created to live, commanded by God to love beyond the limits of our prejudices, and commissioned by God to serve. Called to live, commanded to love, and commissioned to serve. And here at FCBC, we like to say it a very particular way. We live, we love, and we serve. Thank you, for beloved, for being a part of this experience today. Yesterday was our MLK Day of Service, and we celebrate this weekend and into tomorrow, Martin Luther King Day. And I have to say this, and I, and I often talk about this on this moment, but not just this moment, because sometimes we are so fixated on honoring fallen heroes that we are not always as equally committed to doing the work that they died for. And that is what we have to do today. Today cannot be a day, and this weekend cannot just be a weekend where we watch nostalgia and get lost in the dizzying haze of nostalgia and simply recount and recapture moments that have passed on. These are moments where we must be able to answer our own clarion calls to do the work that sits before us in this season. When Dr. King died, he died at a time in his life when he was making a radical shift in the work he was doing. Civil rights was still important, but he had expanded to human rights as well. And he came under attack for opposing the war at Vietnam. Dr. King's eyes, how can I stand in solidarity with this country seeking to destroy people of color overseas, sending countless young African-American men to war to fight for a country that does not respect them? He wanted to be morally and ethically consistent. His righteous indignation was not just against racial injustice, but as he evolved as a human being, it was against injustice in all of its various forms, against all of the various tentacles. Towards the end of his life, he stood not only against racial injustice, but against capitalism, against militarism, and against racism. Because if you're going to be a warrior for justice and one who stands on the battlefield for human rights, you must be able to attack and assault those very mechanisms that undermine human dignity. It is not just racial injustice that undermines human dignity. It is our gross fixation on materialism. It is our dangerous consumption with consumerism. It is this country's addiction to warfare and the weapons of warfare. That is what it means to stand in Dr. King's legacy. That is what it means to honor Dr. King. And the question becomes, as a theme for this year, are you ready to move beyond celebratizing and celebrating and ritualistic symbolism to really do the work? 
to work against human injustice. This is why so many have asked us here at FCBC about these signs we have in our sanctuary throughout the church. Be human. Because what we're dealing with in this country and abroad is a human crisis. Poverty is a human crisis. Abuse, domestic violence, child abuse, a human crisis. And these crises manifest themselves all over the world. They are not relegated to these shores. And if you're going to be a humanitarian and a warrior against injustice, we have to learn to broaden the scope of what we stand for. And that's my charge to so many today. We should not be so easily readable where we only get aroused for one thing, one act of injustice. All acts of injustice against all people call for the best of us as human beings to rise to the surface. For me, that is what it means to honor Dr. King on this holiday weekend. Okay, beloved, I want to continue with our theme this month, which is really the theme of our, well, the theme for the year, our battle cry for the year. I am ready. I am ready. And so today, beloved, if you're home, just stand with me for a moment and let me adjust this desk. Just stand with me for a moment and let us turn to the book of 1 Kings. 1 Kings, the 20th chapter. Verse 23 through 28. 1 Kings chapter 20, 23 through 28. And it reads as follows. The servants of the king of Aram said to him, their gods are gods of the hills. And so they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. Also do this. Remove the kings, each, of, each from his post, and put commanders in place of them. And muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. He heeded their voice and did so. In the spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. After the Israelites had been mustered and provisioned, they went out to engage them. The people of Israel encamped opposite them like two little flocks of goats, while the Arameans filled the country. A man of God approached and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Because the Arameans have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not God of the valleys, therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Come on, beloved, let's pray. God, we thank you on this day. We thank you, God, that we know for a fact that you always provide. All we have needed, your hands have provided. Thank you, God, for being Jaira, our provider. In this season, in this moment, God, we are grateful for our divine connection to you and our connection to one another. God, every day we rise is a day of celebration a day of gratitude, 
a day of love, a day of thanksgiving. Oh, God, we thank you today. The truth is, oh, God, there's some who feel like they don't know how to pray or don't have the words of prayer. But God, right now, thank you for the reminder that thank you is more than enough. God, we thank you. Thank you, God, for allowing us to be in your service and in this space one more time. We love you, Lord. We honor you, God. And it's in your name we pray. And we say, amen. Amen, beloved. Let me read that passage again in your hearing. 1 Kings 20, verses 23 through 28. Here is the word of God. The servants of the king of Aram said to him, their gods are gods of the hills. And so they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. Also do this, remove the kings each from his post and put commanders in place of them. And muster any army like the army that you have lost. Horse for horse, chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain. And surely we shall be stronger than they. He heeded their voice and did so. In the spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Arameans and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. After the Israelites had been mustered and provisioned, they were out to engage them. The people of Israel encamped opposite them like two little flocks of goats, while the Arameans filled the country. The man of God approached and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord, because the Arameans have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, but... He is not God of the valleys. Therefore, I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am Lord. Amen, beloved. Put your hands together and give the Lord a hand clap of praise. I want this morning, beloved, just briefly to speak from, from this thought. I am ready for mountains and valleys. I am ready for mountains and valleys. I know I am not the only one here who can celebrate the fact that God does not hang our mistakes over our heads. I know this morning I am not the only one who could testify to the fact that there is something overwhelmingly joyful about the idea that God does not hold us or rather, that God does not linger over us our past indiscretions and mistakes. The truth of the matter is that it is people who do that. It's people who have a way of often reminding us when we were not at our best. It's people who have a way of reminding us of the missteps and mistakes we have made and have had. Oftentimes, there are those who will always seek to remind you of your misgivings. And sometimes those reminders become more painful than the thing you did in the first place. Because we know what it is to live with guilt and to feel the agony, especially when the deeds that have been done have been deeds that have affected and impacted other people. And that in of itself is grueling for those who seek to make amends and do better than we were at our last mistake. But what makes that moment even more difficult to transcend is when those of us who have committed those mistakes and made mistakes constantly remind others of their mistakes and their misgivings. Isn't it ironic when imperfect people have a way of destroying imperfect people by reminding them of their imperfection? 
It is amazing how we do this. We turn a blind eye to our own actions. We are oblivious to our own indiscretions, but we love to lift up before the people who are already damaged sometimes because of their misdeeds, what they've done wrong. And I am so glad that the most supreme relationship in my life is the relationship I have with God. That relationship is redemptive. That relationship is restorative. That relationship has a way of lifting me and my broken moments and reminding me and my worst moments that what? The best is yet to come. We know that. We believe that. But God has a way of reminding us of God's mercy and God's grace. And oftentimes the mercy of God and the grace of God comes in moments where we feel as though we have, quote unquote, let God down. I remember years ago when I was in seminary and graduate school and, and I was praying and in the midst of the prayer for the religious life staff that I was interning with, they asked me to pray this day and I prayed. And in some way in my prayer, I said, God, forgive us for letting you down. I remember after the prayer was over, the Baptist campus minister, an amazing gentleman by the name of Ted, he always used to give me advice and counsel and encourage me. He was like a father figure in so many ways. Well, after the prayer, Ted came up to me and said, Michael, that was a powerful prayer. But he said, remember this, you can't ever let God down because you're not holding God up. He had to remind me that the language that is used oftentimes, that we use in our common spiritual and church vernacular, it may be good language, but it ain't always good theology. And so, Ted, that they reminded me, you can't let God down because you, Michael, weren't holding God up. And I know there's those moments we feel as though, yes, we did let God down. The truth is, it's not God we let down. It's ourselves. It's when we let the worst of us overtake the best of us. It's when we let those things we wrestle with come to the forefront and become the things we act out and live out. But again, here's the good news, beloved. And the truth of the matter is I could end this sermon right here and I'd be more than enough. The good news is this, that God always offers an opportunity to experience the divine mercy of God. God forgives. God forgives. God forgives in such a way that those of us who know we've been forgiven by God sometimes hurt ourselves chasing after people's approval of us after we've acknowledged our wrong. I know we ought to give and ask for forgiveness and seek to amend the things, but sometimes after we've amended it, those very persons we may have hurt and we were honest about the hurt and the damage always want to remind us of what we've done. But the good news again is that God's mercy is always available, is always present. Even for the most egregious of acts, they may even be offensive, if possible, which I do not believe so, if possible to offend God. What do you mean? King Ahab was one who had done what may have been, for some people, unforgivable. King Ahab, along with his wife Jezebel, had led God's people away from the worship of God. They had taken and led the people of God in worshiping other gods, the gods of Baal or Baal. They were telling the people that Baal, Baal, was a mightier God and a more powerful God than the God they knew, Yahweh, the Lord. And so much so that the people of God started following the gods of Jezebel 
really became the gods of her husband Ahab, who was king of Israel. If you know the story, it was the prophet Elijah that God sent to tell Ahab that there would be a famine in the land, a drought in the land. But more than that, it was Elijah who showed Ahab that the prophets of Baal were no comparison to the singular prophet of God. And I'm not going to belabor the point with that story, but suffice it to say that there was a contest and those 450 prophets of Baal lost to the singular solitary prophet Elijah. Ahab had found out in that moment that he had done wrong. He had misled God's people to forgetting the God who had been with them from the time of Abraham. He had dishonored the relationship between Israel and God. But even in his dishonoring the relationship, and even with the people following the king who was following the false gods, God depersonalized. Well, God didn't really have to depersonalize, but I like that language this morning. Because oftentimes, we don't always depersonalize. We are so easily offended and we are so easily upset. Sometimes we take everything so personal because sometimes we think that when people are upset with us, they're really upset with us. And we no longer think about the issues they're wrestling with that cause them to treat us certain ways. Behind every mistreatment by someone of you, there's some deed, some act, some pain, some hurt that is undergirding their behavior. And it's not that you forgive or, or, or not forgive, but you bypass their act. But you always sometimes have to show some level of empathy. Not that you then don't hold them accountable, but every hurt person who hurts people is hurting. And we can't forget that. God offers the possibility that Ahab can be redeemed. And when does it manifest itself? Well, after the incident with Elijah and, and Ahab's wife Jezebel, Ahab was at the lowest moment of his leadership. The people were now looking at him for who he was. He was misleading. He was deceiving the people by honoring other gods. God had made it clear that God was not pleased. And he had to feel as though somehow his leadership was fraudulent. And just at the low point of Ahab's leadership, the record says he gets word that the king of Aram, Ben-Hadad, wants to do battle with Israel. Again, Ahab is at his low moment, and King Ben-Hadad of Aram decides this is the perfect time to attack. But the attack is quite interesting. It's not an outward, outward frontal attack. He sends a message to Ahab, who he knows is no longer as strong as he was or as powerful as he was. He tells Ahab, I want what you have. Send me your gold, your silver, the best of your wives and your children. And Ahab, in that low state, agrees. He's a broken man because of his misdeeds and misgivings. And he feels that God will not be with him. And feeling that he is presenceless. In other words, he no longer has the presence of God. Ahab complies with King Ben-Hadad. And he sends to the king of Aram, the best of his things, the best of his wives, his children, gold and silver. But how many of you know that sometimes when you give in to your enemies, they won't stop there? When you concede to the insanity of your enemies, it won't stop there. One night, the scripture says, while King Ben-Hadad of Am was in a drunken stupor with some of his friends, the 32 kings of his region, that while he was drinking, he sent another message to Ahab. And the message was like this, listen, 
yet we got your gold, we got your silver, and, and, and we have the best of your wives and your children here. We're going to come back and we want to take whatever we can find. We want it all. When Ahab got the word that King Benadad was sending men to get everything they wanted, whatever they wanted, King Benadad said, we want to take. The elders of Israel got what Ahab and said, do not give in. Do not relent. Do not concede to King Ben-Hadad. King Ben-Hadad then sends another message. You know that we just destroyed the other territory in Samaria, and the way we dealt with them is just what we're going to do to you if you don't concede to us this time. First, he made the request based on Ahab's feelings of God not being present, and then he comes back and says we want it all and threatens to destroy Israel. Ahab mustered some level of confidence in that moment. He says something. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in the Message Bible. Ahab sends a message back to King Ben-Hadad. He said, listen, just because you start a fight don't mean you'll end it. That's the language. Just because you started King Ben-Hadad don't mean that you'll end it. Don't overlook who we are. Well, that was big talk from Ahab. You read the story when you get a chance. It was big talk from Ahab. But after he said that big talk, he went back into the place of fear and trepidation. God sensed it. And all this time when Ben-Hadad was threatening Ahab, Ahab never consulted God because he thought he was far away from God. He never sought God out because he thought God was angry. But now God came to him, sent a messenger to him and said, you go out. Gather all the young men among your forces who work with the governors of your region. Get all the young men and go out and fight, and you will get the victory. And I love the next part. Ahab asked God through the message, well, who's going to start it? God said, you will start the fight. Oh, and I need you to hear this, beloved. Ahab went to feeling as though God was no longer interested in that relationship. That his mistakes, his missteps, his misgivings in leading the people of Israel to honor other gods had forfeited his divine connection. But what Ahab forgot is that it was bigger than him. That if Ben-Hadad was going to attack Israel, it was not Ahab they were attacking. It was God's people they were seeking to undermine. And in that very moment, no matter how Ahab felt about himself, God would not let his people be defeated at a braggadocious king who forgot who Israel's God was. And God told Ahab, no, you start the fight. I want you to lead the victory I will give you. Do not sit and wallow in self-pity because you've made a mistake. Do not sit there and feel bad and mourn and grieve because you are not perfect. Get up off of your self-pity and do the work I've called you to do. You start to fight. Get the men who are working with the governors and you come together and you muster for war. Get ready to do battle. And the record said that Ben-Hadad was sitting there still in the drunken stupor. And those young men who were working with Ahab went out to fight. And Ben-Hadad did not realize that they were coming to war. So he just sent out scouts to search out the territory. Wait a minute. Back up. Ben-Hadad had threatened to destroy them, but he thought that the threat would stop them from preparing for battle. You missed that. So he sent out scouts. Ahab sent out warriors. 
Oh, God, I, I wish I had time this morning. That, that Ahab was following God's directive to fight against a king that was making assumptions about Israel because of their perceived power and Ahab's perceived weakness. But it was not about Ahab or his weakness. It was about God and God's power. And so when they went out, they were utterly destroyed because even though your enemies talk tough, they ain't always ready to fight. Even though your enemies know how to hurl threats and try to intimidate you and try to suffocate your strength, you have to know that at the end of the day, I've dealt with bullies in my own life. And I've seen bullies in my life. And I realize there's a qualitative difference between bullies who talk and bullies who fight. Because most of the time, bullies try to intimidate you with talk. But the minute you put them hands up ready to fight, the whole situation changes. Oh, my God, I know there's some bullies you may be dealing with right now. There may be spaces that are seeking to intimidate you right now. But don't forget, you don't serve a God who just talks. You serve a God who empowers you to get the victory in your life. And so then, here it is. Ahab wins. The story would end there. But here's what I learned in my life. Enemies just don't know when to quit. They keep on coming. That is why along your journey, you must always be alert and attentive. Because, as I said last week, whenever you have the victory and you remember the memory of your victory, and you have a memory of the experiences of your victory and the battles you fight, you know who else has a memory of those battles you won? The ones who've lost. They're always ready to try to redeem their own loss. So you can never sit still after one victory because enemies keep on coming in all sorts of shapes and all sorts of forms. And so you must always be ready to do battle and put past victories behind you. Stay forward looking at the current situations that you face in life with the remembrance of the past, but looking with everything with new eyes and new lenses. And so now, Ben-Hadad, who barely escaped with his life, decides he's coming back. And he's coming back for a good reason. He was under the counsel of one of his servants. And here's what they thought. And I'll be done shortly. The servant tells a, uh, King Ben-Hadad. He said, King, I'm going to tell you why Israel beat us last time. Their God is a God of the mountains. If we bring the fight to the valley, their God won't be able to give them the victory. I hope you hear that, beloved. They thought, that's the Arameans, thought the victory was connected to place. They didn't understand that it wasn't the place, it was the presence. Oh, you got to get that today. They, they thought that it was because they were on the mountains that Israel was powerful. They didn't understand the transcendent nature of Israel's God, that it didn't matter where they were. Different location, same God. Different circumstance, same God. That's why you can't let the current situation that may look different from the one you faced before cause new fear in you. Same God. The same God 
who has been with you these years is the same God. No matter where you go, no matter where you find yourself, no matter what decisions you make. Can I speak to somebody today? Because I know today somebody is wrestling with some pressing decision in your life. You're trying to figure out which way to go. You are at a crossroads and you're trying to figure out, do I go left? Do I go right? Do I leave? Do I stay? But here's what I want to tell you. Same God. No matter where you are, no matter where you go, no matter what decision, it is the same God who has guided you and kept you this far and the same God. Let your enemies underestimate because they think that your victory and your progress and your success is dependent upon you, your decisions or your placement. You tell them, no, the same God, the same God. If somebody needs to hear that today, it's the same God, the same God that kept you 20 years ago. Same God, the same God who kept you 10 years ago. Same God, the same God that kept you in 2020 and 2021 and now in 2022. Same God. No matter how many variants come up from COVID, same God. No matter what people try to do to undermine the uniqueness of your power, same God. Same God. But what ought to happen is a transformation of your belief. The more the same God moves, the stronger you ought to get with believing in who you are and who God is. And so the Arameans had to learn a lesson. They gathered their forces to fight again. This time, Ben-Hadad is not drunk. He's gathered every available warrior throughout the 32 provinces of Aram, every single one. And King Ahab mustered their army. I love the language of the Bible. It said that the Israelites looked like two herds of goats, but the Arameans looked like a whole country. I love those odds. You know what? I found out sometimes in my life that feeling under-resourced may be the best position to be in. Now, it don't always feel like it, but here's what I learned. In my moments where I was in duress the most, tragically, I had no me to rely on. I had exhausted all that I had, exhausted all that I could do, and I know it may not be the best possibility, but sometimes when you're on E, you forget that God is on F. Oh, you'll get that later. On. Sometimes when you're empty is when you're most available. Sometimes when you're at your lowest moment is when God can move the mightiest in your life. It is not that God could not do it without that. But what I learned in those moments when I found myself a little too full of myself and I thought I was a little bit more than I should have, God had to remind me that my strength will wane at some point, but God will never fade. And so here they were, outnumbered, outmanned, and looking like they were preparing for a loss. And just as they were beginning the battle, and I'm sure in Ahab's mind, possibly, about to be slaughtered because what you have to catch is that before this battle there was no word from God yet for the first battle God had made it clear that I will give you the victory but Ahab has mustered the people Aram the Arameans are ready to fight they are outnumbered and nothing but just as they were about to fight the word came now let me back up for a second 
Because there are those moments where God lets you know beforehand, hey, this is what I'm going to do in your life. You got to trust it. But all those moments that sometimes God shows up right at the moment when you've done all that you can do. And God will step in. And at that very moment, as they prepare for battle, because look at Ahab, no word from God, but he still went to the fight. And when he got to the fight, encamped on the mountain, across from the Arameans, God sent the message. Ahab, you will get this victory today. And it ain't got nothing to do with you. This victory you're going to get today is because the Arameans had the audacity to think that God's power was geographically bound. That somehow they believed that God was a God of the mountains. And because they said that, today they will know that God is a God of mountains and valleys. In fact, no matter where you are, God is present and ready to do battle for those who believe and trust in God. And here's what I want you to know too, beloved. And this is a word to encourage you as we move through this year, not knowing what will come our way. Watch this. If God is ready, then you ought to be ready. If God is ready to war on your behalf, no matter what the situation, then you must be ready to war. You must be ready to stand strong. You must be ready to be vigilant. You must be ready to move forward and deal with the enemy, no matter where you are, because God is a God of mountains and valleys and rivers and lakes and oceans and sky. No matter where you are, God is present. And if God is present everywhere, that means your readiness should always be at the forefront. Because if God is ready, then I am ready. If God is a God of the mountains and valleys, why should I shake in the valley? When God is there, it is God's presence. That reminds us of the power of God. Beloved, these first few weeks of the year have been about encouraging you. Right here at the beginning of 2022, we have no idea what this year will bring. But I want to make sure we're ready for whatever comes. Throughout this entire year, we're prepared for what may show up. We are ready. Why? Because like King Ben-Hadad had to find out, God is not limited as to how God moves and when God moves and where God moves. And you have to know that and you have to be mindful of that. Because I know, I know there are moments in life where the enormity of the situation has a way of pushing us into places where we become timid, we become afraid. I know I've been there. Sometimes the thing we're dealing with, the thing that we're confronting is so much bigger than us so much more overwhelming than we think we have the capacity to handle. Every now and again, we need those reminders. God is still a stronghold. And God is still present. And God doesn't shift or adapt to your situations. God reminds you in the midst of your situation that God is still present. And look at that word for Ahab. Look what Ahab learned. 
as bad as what he did was, it didn't stop God from moving on his behalf. Somebody need to know that today. Because sometimes when we fall short and we make those mistakes, we are the ones who isolate ourselves away. We are the ones who remove ourselves from God's. We're the ones who try to get away and get out of relationship and get out of fellowship. And we seek to disconnect because we think that somehow we've messed up so bad. We're no longer where we were supposed to be spiritually. But no, the same grace and the same mercy has always been available. And it's available right now. So for the person who's watching this morning, you're walking down with your head bowed down. And you've been feeling a little low. Not because of anything that somebody did, but because of what you've done to yourself. Some decision that hurt you and hurt others. Something that you did that brought great pain to others and yourself. Don't walk with a heavy head anymore. God will still stand with you. God will still be present with you. And you will still experience victory on top of victory with God's presence. And you can't forget that, beloved. I, too, have wept a great deal for the things that I thought disappointed God. And it's not to say that they were not disappointing things but it did not forfeit my connection to God. And that is good news. Good news for imperfect people in an unforgiving world. Good news that God still gives chances, still finds favor, still trusts us, still loves us. So beloved, as we pray, today. I want you to bring, bring up in your spirit right now the things that you have been carrying that have caused great guilt within you. I want you to bring it up because only you know those things that you've done that have caused great guilt in you. And it is not that you do not have to live out the consequences or that come with the choices we've made. But I want you to know that God will not define you by those things. Bring those things to the surface in your honesty. Because sometimes the best way to move forward is to confront. To bypass what ought to be confronted is to dishonor the harm that was caused. And so in this moment right now, whatever it is, those things you've been harboring, holding that you feel guilty about. Know that God didn't give you the guilt. That's what we give ourselves. I want you to bring it up. And I know it's painful. Bring it up. Bring it up. And you will discover in the presence of God that those things don't have power over you. Those things are a part of the narrative, but it ain't the whole story. Those things do not define you. So don't be afraid. And don't be ashamed. Trust the Lord even right now. God, we thank you. Because sometimes the weight of our guilt is too great to bear. Sometimes that weight has a way of buckling us physically and spiritually. 
But we come now before you, God, not, could, not to confess. We come now to you, oh God, believing that your mercies endure forever and that your love still covers a multitude of sins. Thank you for this story this morning, oh God. That even when we think we have displeased you the most, you still fight for us. You still fight for us. You still fight for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And just in those moments, oh God, when our enemies think we are weak, thank you for reminding us that your strength is made perfect in our weakness. You are the God of the mountains. You are the God in the valleys. You are the God in the sea. You are the God in the sky. You're the God when we walk to school, when we get in our cars, when we go to work, when we go shop. God, you are God everywhere. You are always present. And there's nowhere we can go that is outside of the realm of your presence. Thank you for that reminder, God. Lord, we love you. And we honor you today. And we're grateful that you still walk with us. Yes, God. You still talk with us. And you still remind us that we belong to you. This is our prayer, O oh Lord. In your name we pray. And we say, amen. Amen. Amen, beloved. Listen, thank you for joining us today. Again, I want to reiterate, thank you to all the persons who made yesterday an amazing day. So many people were touched and so many people were blessed, but they were blessed and touched by your generosity. So thank you for your support. Thank you for the volunteers. Thank you for the donations. Thank you. Because at the end of the day, as I always say, the most noble thing that you can do for another human being is to enhance the life of someone else. And you did it. So we thank you for that. Don't forget, every morning, Monday through third, Saturday, we have some form of prayer going on in the mornings at 715. So please, please, I encourage you to participate and engage. You can go on the website, uh, fcbcnyc.org, or on our social media, and see the numbers, the dialing numbers, everything you need to know. So you can be a part of our morning prayer uh, this week. So again, beloved, don't forget, do not forget that we are ready for mountains and valleys, because God is ready. And if God is ready, we move forward in confidence and courage, because God is with us. Now unto you, O God, who is able to keep us from falling and present us faultless in your presence, may you continue to remind us that you are ready for mountains. You are ready for valleys. And because of that, we are ready for mountains and valleys. From now until we meet again on the other side, where the sun neither rises nor sets, because the sun is Jesus the Christ, the light of the world. It is in your name, O oh God, we pray. And we say amen, amen, and amen. Thank you for listening to the FCBC NYC podcast. We hope that what you heard was informative and inspiring and in some way created a space for you to have a creative encounter with God. You can follow us on social media and on the internet at fcbcnyc.org. Please follow and also contribute. If you've been blessed by what you heard, support us financially that we may continue 
to offer these podcasts. Thank you again, and we look forward to you tuning back in in the future.